welcome back to Troubleshooting Agile. Hi there, Jeffrey. Hi, Squirrel. So we had a wonderful question, not from a listener this time. Well, I mean, he may listen, actually, but he's one of my clients. And uh, I, we were discussing a approach that he sees in the data science team at the place he works at, uh, where I'm coaching him. And, and he said, this approach can never work. This, these folks are just not ever going to get anywhere. This is not how good machine learning teams operate. Um, and I, I tried to tell him about some examples I knew uh, of teams who operated in this, this way, the, the sort of teal organization approach uh, that were successful. And he said, well, those aren't, those aren't data science ones, Squirrel. That's those, you know, I don't really count those because it may work in less complex environments. But here where we are, we just can't take that kind of academic approach. We can't take the uh, communitarian, ask everyone their opinion, stop for uh, lots of checks and, and making sure people are, are brought along on the journey. We need to make some tough decisions, get things rolled out, because look at how fast the, 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 the whole industry is moving. Uh, you know, we, we have, a, it seems like, a, a, a new AI breakthrough every couple of days. And uh, Squirrel, we, we, we got to move faster here. And I said, <laughs> I think I know somebody who has led data science teams in this way. And it, and it happens that I'm going to be recording a podcast with him tomorrow. So here we are. And, and I thought uh, that we might uh, just talk more. We talk a lot about this approach to building software, but I thought we might kind of focus in on data science because you, Jeffrey, have led, I, I know, two data science teams that have this um, more um, inclusive approach that are, are less uh, top-down and more bottom-up. So I thought maybe I could ask you some questions about that, and, and that might help out my client and, and lots of our listeners too. What do you think? That that sounds great. I'd love to share my experience here. Although I just will say I, I was leading the, the data science in the sense of it was part of my remit as a CTO or VP of engineering to include data science as well as engineering. So it was a bit broader. It definitely covers the whole range of product development, including the R&D machine learning data science part, as well as the then the, the transmission from that into delivery, which I think is what the, your client is very concerned about. Like almost every organization today, there's a data science component, and then there's an engineering, traditional engineering, non-data science component. So he, he's interested yeah. in both. So I think this will, this will meet what he's looking for. So uh, Jeffrey, can you just tell us a little bit about one or both of these organizations, and, and maybe also then tell us what was different about them? What's this teal organization idea? Um, how, how does it work? What do you what do you see when you walk in that's different from other uh, uh, engineering or or um, data science organizations? Sure. Yeah, I'll, I'll do that. So I'll, I'll also give a bit of context. So that the kind of time span we're covering here covers about twelve years, um, and um, two very different uh, teams and different uh, domains. Um, and we'll start a bit with teal. And uh, one thing I'll say is that what we're going to talk about here, I think, is a lot about having high-performing teams. And I think it's important to do to ground it in that. Like the, the goal of um, teal organizations is, is actually about performance and the, the claim. And this comes from a book, uh, Reinventing Organizations by Patrick LaRue. I think I have that name right. Um, uh, or at least, no, sorry, Frederick LaRue. I had it wrong, but I had the, the, the important part, his surname correct. So uh, Reinventing Organizations. It'll be in the show notes for listeners who, who want to check it out. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> And he put out this framework about the evolution of um, organizational culture. 
And he basically said that there's been a number of breakthroughs that allow uh, organizations to be much more effective than what came before. And he posited this evolution from red to amber to uh, green to finally teal. There's a level in here I'm missing, but the idea is that each of these has some sort of breakthrough. And it goes from the original part is like the organization has a wolf pack and it's all about the the strong strongest person is the leader and then you get to something that's more about uh, being more hierarchical and organizing and the, the now the analogy is something like the military where there's a chain of command then you get to bureaucracy you have something more like catholic church then you get an uh, analogy of organization like a machine and this would be the um big industrial companies uh, in the uh, 20th century um, where everyone has a place and they're supposed to be a, a part <laughs> in a machine. And then you get to green, which is the analogy of like we're one big family and kind of a paternalistic sort of view. And then teal is about what he sees as the next step where everyone is showing up as an individual. So the difference here is it's less of the paternalism. You're, you're definitely not a machine. You're not interchangeable parts. Um, uh, um, but everyone shows up. And it's really the idea is that you can get the most out of people individually and therefore the most collectively when you have certain attributes that allow people greater freedom of action to take more responsibility um, at, while also being accountable. Um, and they can do this, uh, and they don't, you, what really is big in Teal is that people understand the mission and what you're trying to accomplish, and then they can organize themselves to get that done. They don't need as much management top down because they're intelligent, engaged problem solvers. And if you ever hear about, you know, read Harvard Business Review, you'll see the word engagement all the time. Are people engaged? How to increase engagement? How to know when people aren't engaged? And Teal really optimizes engagement and therefore optimizes the con con contribution of everyone. So that's kind of what it is. Now, yes, actually, what it, what does it look like? <laughs> and, and maybe the main thing it'll look different from what... Um, our listeners are used to is it is it looks like a high autonomy environment where a lot more people are bringing ideas forward there's a lot more questioning of like do we understand why we're trying to do this really understanding the story and the direction so on an engineering side something that she actually someone reminded me of yesterday there's a certain engineer uh, who's really well known for when the product people come with a design we'll say like well how do you know this is the right thing? What have you done <laughs> to understand the client? In other words, help me understand the, the whole story of how you got here. Don't just give me the, the job to do, but help me understand the story so that I can then go into a better job applying my own judgment. So that and the possibly dialogue... I can contribute to your design and tell you that part of it isn't feasible or part of it we, we tried last week and it doesn't work. Yeah, or here's something even better. Given what you've told me, have you thought about this? You might not have realized this was possible. <laughs> Can I let me take a day to give you a prototype, and maybe that changes the conversation. And it often does, and so that kind of um, innovation can come from anywhere. Uh, kind of thing, I think, is one of the things I'd say is a real characteristic that looks that you would notice different if you if you just got dropped into an organization. Or have you ever heard of the miracle question? You know, if you if if the miracle happened last night while you were sleeping, and then you woke up the next day. 
what would you, but no one, you didn't know the miracle had happened because you were asleep. <laughs> What's the thing you would notice? So if you think of your company, if you suddenly were teal, what would you notice the next day? Is you suddenly notice a lot more engagement, a lot more idea of people with questions, a lot more offering of ideas and solutions. Um, that's, that's what you would see. Got it. Okay. So now one of the specific concerns that my client has is about a phenomenon that I have seen over and over again. And I think he's conflating this with the, the teal organization model, but I want to check with you whether this is something that, that you saw, whether it was something that you saw as a problem, or maybe you saw it as positive, I'm not sure, but a tendency among um, heavily research-oriented organizations, people who are building really new stuff. I, I, I've not been to SpaceX, but I kind of feel like the, the, those folks uh, <laughs> must, must be operating this way. There's an awful lot of paper writing, of um, uh, uh, polishing of um, things that you're working on, making sure that uh, it's um, you've covered off all the angles, that you've um, shaved off all the possible ways that you could be wrong and a tendency not to experiment. And um, SpaceX clearly doesn't do that because they blew up a spaceship recently. Um, and that, was, <laughs> that was an example of trying something that definitely had not had all the bugs worked out of it. Um, but I, I suspect they're fighting this because they have literally rocket scientists, rocket scientists there who come from an academic environment. And that is one of the characteristics that I see often in data science teams uh, this sort of, um, we have all the time in the world. Um, we uh, we need to make sure that we cover all the bases so that we aren't our paper isn't rejected. And, and you have somebody like my client who says, "My God, could I just get this in the market because somebody uh, is is about to release <laughs> their version tomorrow? Uh, could could I get this out?" So, um, but I don't think that's what you're describing as the characteristic of a teal organization. When you said it was outcome focused, I think that was really important to underline. So what's the difference there? And have you seen this in the data science organizations you've led? Yeah, I think it's a really good point. And, and uh, I'll also say, you know, the, the, the head of machine learning for who reports me is a podcast listener. So I'll be, uh, he'll be double checking what I say. And I think it's, uh, I, I think there's an element of truth in what you're describing, um, but it's not, in a sense, congenital. It's sort of environmental, and, and, it can, and it can be offset. So here's what happens in my experience. A lot of times people in the data science uh, background have come from an academic background, and sort of they, and they're used to the kind of things that you're describing, where they're producing papers, and you want to get all your ducks in a row. And you said, use the phrases, well, they don't want to experiment. And then you use SpaceX. And the difference here is experiment in production <laughs> versus, you know, experimenting in a lab. And I think they're quite happy to run experiments kind of in as they are working through their own models, but, and they're more wary about bringing something of like, Hey, let's try this in production. Um, uh, and I think kind of like SpaceX would, would try something in a wind tunnel rather than actually yeah. launching a rocket. So there, there must be some pressure. There's, I'm sure Elon Musk is running around beating people over the head. But um, what do you do in a teal organization if you have this tendency, this this uh, ca academic caution? Yeah. Well, the, the main thing you do is, and this is a, a very relevant to the teal part, which is often there's there's not strong silos between organizations. Um, the, the different disciplines have their own expertise, which they're assumed to be experts in and you ensure they're experts in, but the, but you don't get to, um, there's no desire actually for people to live within their silo because they're aligned to the actual outcome. Um, and, uh, the reason I mentioned the head of machine learning is he and I were discussing 
yesterday the question of, of um, you know, uh, elephant carpaccio effectively, do we have the right thin slices to move forward that we don't need to have all of the questions answered in advance? We need to have enough data and take forward conclusions that are tentative um, when they're ready without waiting to have everything be perfect. To, you, know, you might say it doesn't need to be publication ready um, to, to be useful. And I think that comes down to it. Useful and this... informative. The, the experiment might be successful with a negative result. The spaceship exactly, exploded, yeah. but we learned why. <laughs> we know how to yes. not do it again. And that's and that's the point. And that's, I think SpaceX is very good about this, which is they're, they're, they, the alignment, what they've got alignment on is that there are some things that you can only learn from trying to launch. So they will certainly try to learn all they can prior to launch. They will run all the experiments they can, but they also know there's a limit to what you can do before you go test in the real world. And there's alignment in that. And part of what I would guess, and I'll say, I'll move away from SpaceX and more to the, the um, domains I'm uh, familiar with, there's alignment within the data science and the engineers and product that what we're trying to do is maximize our rate of learning. And sometimes that means doing it experiments you know, sort of in a uh, data science environment, in um, you know, in the, a different language or different toolkit than we use in production. So maybe they're doing something in R or Python, and it, it's eventually going to be translated into Java code. But at at a certain stage, it's faster early on to iterate that way. And then as we learn more, we start moving to more and more production-like. And there's and this goes back into the the teal part. There's uh, joint design and collaboration on what are our options that we have and what are the trade-offs between them and th that you want experts involved in that discussion so it's not managers it's not me as a leader saying well here's the options i could think of and here's the trade-offs i see <laughs> i will certainly offer that because i'm an individual within the teal organization like anyone else but i am very interested to get the uh, input of the experts and i and i stress this you are the experts you tell me what you see as being the options, and you tell me what you see as being the trade-offs. And because there's alignment on the outcome, and, and the understanding the outcome is about what we actually produce and ship in the real world, then there's alignment in the approach. Um, as opposed to having a more siloed organization where, and this is, this is, I think, the danger, is if you have different goals in the different groups and different measures of success. And that somehow it's seen as successful for the data science team. Like, well, we created our model. There you go, we have our model, we're done. Now it's up to you to go out and engineer to go make something of it. When, there's, when, when, it, when they don't see client value as the ultimate uh, measure of success, then I think it's problematic. And you have, are now starting to, to, to have that breakdown, that sort of unity of, of purpose, which I think is so important um, to get the right dynamics. So, so I imagine I don't know if you, if he'll even listen to this, but I imagine my client will uh, will be nodding along all the way to this point, and he would then say something like, "So that means what you need to do is break up that kind of academic, slow, super collaborative approach. I don't, you know, forget this teal thing. What we need is to get them aligned to delivery, and, and we need to get them on the on the treadmill here on the on the um, conveyor belt, uh, cranking out lots of new, exciting, wonderful stuff. <laughs> so this sounds wonderful because what we're going to do is is um, cut out all of this sort of uh, crazy collaborative um, uh, exchange of ideas, reading papers. We're, we're, we're going to stop doing all that kind of theoretical stuff, <laughs> and, and we're going to be very practical. 
somehow I have the feeling since you're laughing that might not be what you what you did or what you have in mind. Can you can you help us out? No, that's that's completely not the case. The point is you're dealing with experts here, and you're the the they're um they have their expert judgment on what's the fastest way to proceed. And sometimes that's a literature review. Why would you want to go try to reinvent something that someone else has already published on? And you don't want to just have the literature, you know, frozen a snapshot at a time, you know, the, the literature up to the point they graduated. And, and especially in a situation where data science is moving forward so quickly, you know, if you, you'd want to know what's been published last week, you know, and is that relevant to what we're doing today? Maybe that changes our approach. Uh, and so we run a different uh, approach today than we would have without that paper. So there definitely is an element here of needing uh, uh, or value in in keeping up with that. And you, there is a balance, but the question is who's the people who can best understand that balance? And that's going to be the experts. Now, to be clear, there is an issue here of accountability. And remember, I mean our definition of accountability, which is an obligation to render an account. It's not that people here, even if they're experts, are not going to be perfect at this, and they need a chance to learn from their own experience. And part of that is, so, you know, in this last time period, what have you done? Let's, let's go ahead. You told us what you intended to do. Then you did some stuff. Now let's reflect on it. Given what you did, you know, do you think that you made the right choices given what you knew at the time? And sometimes what happens is people like, you know what, actually, we should have done X instead. And X might have been, we should have spent more time looking at the paper, <laughs> you know, at the papers, or it could be, you know, we should have tried to get this into engineering's hands faster. We should have collaborated with people in engineering sooner. We should have tried this with our production data sooner. It can be different learning, but that that learning is how people develop the intuition about what's the right trade-off. And you, I've never seen anyone who has it right just, you know, at birth. It's something that only comes with experience. And, and that's the puzzle for this client and many of my clients who are less technical, who are not experts on machine learning. I'll put my hand up and say I'm what, such a person as well. The difficulty is that it's hard to tell the difference between I'm polishing and I'm making sure that I cover off all the angles and that nothing is going to um, explode, no, nothing is going to break, I'm not going to give anybody the wrong answers from this AI model I'm creating, <laughs> and yeah. I'm checking the, the, the literature to be sure that uh, I've, uh, I haven't missed a trick that would let me get to production faster. Those look from the outside the same. So I wonder, how did you tell the difference? How did you... Um, get get the accountability in place so that you could tell and, and stop it when someone was um, off on a uh, a perfection crusade and um, keep it going <laughs> when someone was um, getting a lot of really great new ideas from other members of the team and, and the literature and so on. Yeah. Uh, well, it, it, people who know us and know our work and know our book shouldn't be surprised. The, the answer is agile conversations. You know, it's whoa, um, shocking. Okay, go on. <laughs> I'm also not, uh, I don't have a background in machine learning. I'm not a data scientist. I, you know, I, I have a background in physics and nuclear chemistry. I have knowledge of statistics. Um, I've worked with enough people to, to have picked up some things, but I'm definitely not an expert. But what I can do is have a genuine conversation where I can share my concerns and say things like, you know, hey, I'm just, I'm nervous about how the pace that we're going. Do you think that we are being, there's other ways that might be more effective? What are the trade-offs? What are the options you've considered? 
um, and I can I can have a dialogue with this. And sometimes I, I can advocate for what I want, like in a recent example where I'm like, you know, you, I think you have findings to the point where I think there's now value and I want to go deliver them. <laughs> what I'd like you to do is create a draft presentation with your current tentative results, knowing that it's incomplete. And then we can review that to see if there's value. And so we can kind of I can I can advocate for what I want, and then we can go ahead and and do that together. So it's it's being in there, and and a lot of it is sharing the concerns, and and, and also possibly not together. Just, just I want to check Jeffrey because I I know you, and you you always sound so nice on on, on our podcast that uh, I know that you can be tough <laughs> as well. So I could imagine you reviewing that presentation and saying we're going live with this, and the other person's oh wait no we haven't covered this this error condition this edge case this is, isn't working. And I can imagine you then saying, but we're going live anyway. And I just want to check, is, is that, yes. would that be consistent with a teal organization and the types of things that you've done? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's, because uh, there is a question here, and I think we get into, I think, uh, an aligned uh, problem here, which is um, decision-making process, right? And I think a lot of people who are uncomfortable with human dynamics interactions, um, they look at people talking and they're worried it's going to be talking forever. And there's a difference between we're going to have a collaborative discussion and then a clear decision process. And I think there can be cases, and there are definitely cultures where people have conversations, but they have no clear decision process. And therefore, things go on forever because they have no way to, to reach closure. And um, the in, in our environment, you know, we, we definitely have ways where there we can reach closure and and ultimately there is still a hierarchy and it can still be look you know i appreciate your concerns but you know i can make this decision that we are going to move ahead with this but it, that only happens after i've heard concerns it's not something that's a priority because i i know there's a chance i could be wrong people these experts know more than i do so i'm definitely going to hear from them any concerns they have about moving ahead but ultimately i'm, I'm not going to um, abdicate my role in the decision process. Um, and I don't want them to advocate their role either. <laughs> so uh, there, there's, a, there's a whole chain of responsibility here that uh, expecting people to do their part, including disagreeing. But there is that element of disagreeing commit. You know, we, at some point, we, you know, we've talked it, we've heard all, all sides, we're going to make a decision and move forward. And this is a bit, remember our, our last week, one-way and two-way doors, especially in the case of a two-way door where it's something that's temporary and reversible and we can learn from it. It, you know, we're going to spend a lot less time <laughs> before we move ahead compared to something that we think is a one-way door where it'd be hard to come back from. And of course, we're going to spend as much time as we can to create two-way doors <laughs> rather than accepting one-way doors. There you go. And uh, let's close with just one more thing that you mentioned that I want to pull out. You said there were a number of mechanisms for kind of forcing a decision, making sure the team doesn't get stuck, uh, doesn't wind up in uh, lengthy collaboration that never reaches a decision. Could, could you say a, a bit about what those are? Sure. And I think that one of the fundamental issues is about um, uh, uh, my availability. Uh, and it, this may seem strange, but trying to make sure that I'm regularly available so that people aren't waiting. When there's uncertainty, um, they know that they can uh, get rapid feedback on choosing between alternatives. So that actually ends up being a really important point uh, that, that when people, a lot of times when there's a disagreement among a team, it's because they're not sure about, given the sets of trade-offs that they see, which trade-off would I or would the company prefer? And I'll say there's often cases where 
I don't actually have the answer for what the company as a whole would say, but I'm willing to say, well, I'm not sure. Here's my understanding. I believe it's this. Let's go ahead and move forward on that basis. And we might correct it later. We might end up changing direction, but helping people to get comfortable with the fact that we're going to make an attempt using our judgment the best we can, and also knowing that they're empowered to do the same. So yes, you might be in a, in a discussion. You're uncertain as a group, come up with what you think is the best. And then if you, if you can't resolve it amongst yourselves and you need to escalate it, then I'm going to be available to help that move ahead quickly. There we go. So something I heard strongly from you, which I think um, might be a good final point to make to listeners who might want to apply this, is that um, this sort of highly collaborative culture that you've created in these two examples is absolutely uh, consonant with and in fact dependent on strong leadership. So we're, we're dependent on when Jeffrey's around to look at things. So that, that sets our cadence. Uh, Jeffrey might make a judgment about what the rest of the company uh, wants, and, and we're going to follow Jeffrey's um, approach to that. We've, we've uh, anointed Jeffrey as our decision maker. Uh, we're going to disagree and commit. So uh, it, it sounds like there's, there's strong leadership that goes along with the collaborative uh, idea soliciting approach, right? Yeah, strong, strong leadership to set the vision, not to try to manage the details. And that's really important. And, and to know, and, and also goes with this, the safety, if they have made their best judgment in to, to achieve that vision that we've discussed, even if I disagree with it later on their choice, they're, they're, they're not going to be punished for that. As long as they are using their judgment, they show evidence of learning, evidence of progress. It's it's about progress, not perfection. So I think that it's very difficult for people to take ownership and move ahead if they feel they're going to be punished for getting the wrong answer. It, the, the, I think the people have uh, their it's an environment where they're encouraged to use their initiative to move ahead and and make progress um, and without being perfectly aligned with me on the steps. As long as they're very clear on what the objective is. There we go. Okay. So I think we've given our listeners plenty of food for thought. Uh, the idea of strong leadership in a teal organization may seem contradictory, but uh, I, I hope that uh, listeners find it at least provocative, if not uh, inspiring. Uh, and uh, I'm really appreciative that uh, Jeffrey can help us out with uh, his expertise and knowledge. Uh, yeah, I know that he's, he's inspired me with a lot of these um, more collaborative ideas that I try to implement with my clients. So I uh, appreciate that Jeffrey can do that for us. Uh, listeners who are interested in teal organizations, in uh, greater collaboration or less collaboration would like a, a more Steve Jobs style uh, approach and, and don't agree with us uh, on how to approach it. But we, we really like hearing from all such listeners, as uh, most of you who listen to us for a long time know. So uh, if you'd like to disagree with us, uh, make a comment, ask us a question, tell us a story, uh, you can do that by finding us at agileconversations.com. And over there, uh, you'll not only be able to get in touch with us via email or telephone, or you can uh, get free videos. You can uh, look at uh, articles we've written, uh, get a, uh, take a look at our book, and a lot of other things, all on agileconversations.com. And, of course, the other way to keep in touch with us is to come back again next week when we'll have another edition of Troubleshooting Agile. Thanks, Jeffrey. Thanks, Grant.